Good morning, church. Please turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy. And as you hold your place there, I want to remind you that in the year 1517, a 34-year-old unknown monk named Martin Luther took 95 theses or, or protestations that he had with the Roman Catholic Church, and he did the modern-day equivalent of a Facebook post or a tweet or an Instagram picture. Um, he nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and that started the Protestant Reformation. Of course, it wasn't called the Protestant Reformation at the time. If you're newer to Grace Redeemer Church, or maybe you're newer to Christianity, um, I want to let you know that we here at Grace Redeemer Church and, and really all evangelical churches trace our origins to the Reformation, to this Protestant Reformation that this year we are commemorating uh, as the 500th anniversary. And out of uh, the Protestant Reformation came five statements that we call solas, Okay, so here's your Latin lesson for today. Um, solas means only or alone. And out of the Protestant Reformation came five uh, solases, five sola statements. And today we are going to think about this idea of sola scriptura, which is a way of saying scripture alone. So we are going to do that by looking at... Uh, possibly uh, the most important New Testament scripture uh, about the origin of the Bible and, and why God has given us his word. So uh, if you could uh, turn in your Bible, um, you, you should have a pew Bible in front of you, again, to 2 Timothy. I'm going to be reading verses uh, 14 to 17, and this is uh, God's word. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, your word is the revelation of yourself. It's your voice speaking to us. So even as we open it now, we pray, Lord, that you would illumine our hearts to your truth, that you would show us that this is truth, Lord, in a world that is increasingly saying, what does truth even mean? Is that, does that word even have value or meaning? In a world that increasingly says truth is whatever a person says it is to them, would you show us, Lord, that this is the eternal truth of God? that though this was given in a historical context, this is transcultural, trans-historical, because it is your very word. 
So we pray, O oh God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fake news. Have you heard this phrase thrown around recently? Fake news. I feel like uh, for this most recent uh, presidential cycle and increasingly more and more, I hear this phrase, you know, watch out for fake news or, or maybe this thing that was reported was fake news. And as we think about this term, what it does for the average person is it leaves us wondering, well, what is real? What is not real? Uh, what can I trust? What news sources can I trust? And basically, what it does is it, it erodes trust in those who are reporting the information that we need. And increasingly, we're seeing this in our country. There's an erosion of trust. And people are asking, what can I trust? What source can I trust? Who can I trust? How do I know what's real? And of course, uh, if, if we don't really trust our our sources, then, then how do we know what to believe? How do we know what to follow? And so some people may say, I'm just going to become cynical and say, hey, I can't trust anything. Other people say, hey, I'll just check out because who can I trust? What we need, brothers and sisters, what we need in our lives is a source of truth, a source of authority that, that we can trust. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is the epitome of good news, not fake news. And it's the epitome of trustworthiness. Everything in here is valuable, trustworthy from God himself. Just two things about God's word today. First of all, its origin. Paul tells Timothy that God's word is God-breathed. Secondly, its purpose. We see from the text that God's word is both able both able to save us and useful for all that we need in the Christian life. Here, first of all, God's word is God-breathed. We see this in verse 16. Okay, pastor, God's word is God-breathed. What, what, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to say that God's word is, is God-breathed? What it means is that the Bible is the very words of God. The, the word here is theopanuntos, which means God breathed it out. It originates in his mind. And God has breathed it out, as it were, in the scriptures so that we could know his truth. Now, one of the things that is true for God's word is that how exactly this process worked is hard to say for sure. Peter gives us a clue when he says this. Second Peter one twenty one says this. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This idea of being carried along by the Holy Spirit gives us some sort of, of clue about how exactly this worked. But as John Stott tells us, he says this, he says, however the process operated, it did not destroy the individuality or active cooperation of the human writers. Basically, what God did is his spirit came upon a writer, whether that was Moses or, or the prophet Isaiah 
or the Apostle Paul, the Spirit came upon that writer and God's Word emerged in a way that took into account who the writer was, the, the language that they knew, the way, their manners of speaking, their manners of writing, and yet it was the very Word of God too. Some, some of you understand this idea of inspiration. We, we could talk, we'll talk about the inspiration of the Bible. Some of you say, you know, sometimes I'm just inspired to, you know, start working out at 5.30 a.m., you know, every day because I want to I wanna get in better shape or I'm inspired to start a new hobby or I'm inspired to watch a whole season of Netflix in one weekend. Okay, that may be a more realistic one. Um, or I'm inspired to do this or I'm inspired to do that. We sort of understand what that means, right? It's, it's this moment of motivation and sometimes information where you go out to accomplish a task. I can tell you as a pastor... There are, there, there, this doesn't always happen. I wish it did. But there are times where I have a sermon to work on and I sit down and maybe within 90 minutes, you know, an hour and a half, I have just been typing nonstop, all right? And I have six pages of information. It may not be good information, okay? But it's just like God's just given it to me in this moment. And it's all there. And... Of course, in a totally different way, as so much of a higher way, God inspired these authors. We know for Paul, for example, we know Paul wrote many letters. He wrote multiple letters to the Corinthians, for example. But two of those letters, the Holy Spirit and, its, and the Holy Spirit's power inspired so that those letters would be preserved for us as God's word. Well, because God's word is inspired, because it is God's is God's breath, as it were. That means it's authoritative. That means that when we look in our lives and we're wondering, how do, I, how do I decide what to do with my life? How do I decide what moral system to follow? How do I decide what's right and wrong? How do I decide what my life is about, right? One of the greatest questions of all time is, what's the good life? What's the purpose of life? What accounts for a meaningful life, a life well lived. And the Bible answers all of these questions. Because it's God's word, it's authoritative. We can trust it. And also because it's God's word, it answers the big questions of life. The Bible is God's revelation of himself. It answers all these big questions. Who we are, why we exist, where history is going, and it fits our lives into a larger story the larger story that the world has been wrecked by sin, but that God is bringing redemption, has brought redemption through Jesus Christ and is redeeming all things. You know, there have been a few times in my life where I've met somebody and I've said, hey, um, where, you know, are you a Christian? Do you go to church? And a few times in my life I have heard, uh, yes, I'm a Christian, uh, but I don't go to church. And I've said, okay, well, you know, um, is there a reason you don't go to church? And the response has been, well, I go, you know, worship in nature. I, I go to the mountains, or I behold a redwood tree, or I see a beautiful river or pond or lake, and that's where I worship God. And, um, you know, I've been tempted to say, stop loving nature so much and get your hiney to church um, because that's where you belong. But the truth is that nature does tell us something about God. 
We know this. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. But nature, while telling us of God's power, right? It, I, I get it. We, we, do, we look out, we see a mountain range, or we see the Grand Canyon, or we, or we see uh, a beautiful natural setting, and we do, we do say to ourselves, wow, there must be a God. But nature is not sufficient to tell us who we are, why we exist, what the purpose of life is, what God requires of us, and what our response should be to God. Nature does proclaim God, but not, in, not fully, not to know Him, not to be saved, not to be His child. For that, we need the Bible. And so we look to God's Word, both as our authority to tell us what's true and what's right and what's wrong, and to tell us what our life is about, what is our purpose, and how can we be saved. Well, that's the Bible's origin. It's God breathed. Secondly, it's purpose. It's able and useful. Let's look at our text here for a moment. If you look in verse 14, uh, Paul says this. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The the Bible tells us many things. But just to focus on two things for the rest of our time here. First of all, that the Bible is able, and secondly, that the Bible is useful. First of all, the Bible is able. It's able to make us wise for salvation. If you've been around Grace Redeemer Church for any length of time, You've probably heard us say, you've probably heard Peter say or someone up here say that we are a gospel-centered church. And perhaps you've heard gospel used as an adjective in a few other settings as well. And you've thought, man, they are always talking about the gospel here. You know, can we, can we change the channel maybe? Or can we, can we talk about something else a little bit? Why are we always talking about the gospel? And the answer is, we don't apologize for saying that we are a gospel-centered church. Because the gospel is that good news that alone can deliver us from our sins, that can save us from our sins. And where do we find this truth of the gospel? It's in God's word. So Paul says to Timothy, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. In other words, in this book, we find the good news that we need and that every human being needs. It's here. It's not in the the mountains or the valleys or uh, in nature. Again, we can see God's beauty, his power, but this good news of the gospel, it's only found in his word. So if that good news is found in his word, don't we want to be people of his word? Don't we want to know his word, read his word, meditate on his word? I'll say this as well. It's very common for me uh, to meet people who have lots of questions about the faith. I was just hanging out with somebody at a, a dinner party last night. The person said, look, my, my theory of life is basically karma. I try to be a good person because I think if I'm going to be a good person, it's probably going to come back to me later. He said, that's how I live my life. That's, that's my philosophy of life. A lot of you uh, and a lot of your neighbors and your friends and people in your life 
They have questions. They say, I don't know what life is about. How do I know what is right and what is wrong? And there are some religions that would basically say, look, if you have a question about the faith, basically uh, don't explore that question. The problem is you just don't have enough faith in what we're teaching you. You need to just accept it. And there's, there's other religious traditions out there that would simply say, don't even ask questions. Um, just simply follow what we're telling you to do. One of the things I love about being a Christian is that God doesn't say to us, don't ask questions. Do you have questions about Christianity? Do you have questions about life, about the truth, about what story really is true? God says to you, he says to me, he says, ask your questions. Come to my word and see if you will not find the answers. Do you, are, do, you, do you think that there is another story out there that maybe can explain all that we see in the universe and everything out there? God says, read my word and see if you are not convinced that this is the account of the true story of everything that there is. See if you can find another explanation. See if your, your questions will not be answered through God's word. Well, well, of course, I'm not saying that every single question that we would ever have in life will be answered. There are mysteries in this life. But the big questions of life, again, why we're here, what's our purpose? God says to you, says, skeptics are welcome. Says, come and read my word and see if you will not find the answers in in my word. I'll tell you, I love this. Um, As we look at, we, we can learn a lot about Timothy's life from just these three verses. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, Continue in what you have learned from infancy, okay? Timothy was on the front lines of this new fledgling faith that we call Christianity because Paul, we know this, Paul is probably writing maybe 50s, 60s, 70s. He's a little bit later in his life at this point, but Jesus has only been dead for maybe 35 years. So likely what happened here is that Timothy's mother and his grandmother believed in Jesus. They were some of the first followers of Jesus. And they taught the Bible to Timothy. So kids out there, I mean, Timothy was a covenant kid. He heard the truth. It says from infancy, from the time he was born, he was being taught, you know, Jesus loves me or something equivalent, right, in the first century. But I love this. Timothy, Paul does not simply say to Timothy, you were taught it when you were a baby and then you were just told, just believe it, never question it. It says this. Timothy was convinced from the scriptures himself. All right, look at this, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Timothy was convinced of it himself. He was taught the good news as a child. And parents, that's our calling, right? It's to teach our children the word. It's to tell them this is true. But even Timothy himself was convinced through the power of the spirit as he read God's word that it is true. And so, so it is with all of us. God's word is confirmed to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit as we read this, just like for Timothy, and we realize this is true. Well, lastly, the Bible is useful. We won't go into all of these, but Paul says the Bible is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible 
does not answer every question of life, okay? The Bible does not claim to give a comprehensive scientific explanation of everything that we see. The Bible is not primarily a science textbook. The Bible doesn't tell us um, what political system is the perfect political system to have in a country. The Bible doesn't tell us the perfect economic system. The Bible won't tell you who you should marry, what car you should drive. The Bible doesn't say whether Dunkin' Donuts are better than Krispy Kreme, but we all know the answer to that one, I hope. It's the second one. Um, the Bible, there's a lot of questions the Bible does not answer. That, and that we say, look, I, I, I wish I knew this, or I wish God's word would direct me in this way. Here's what we need to know, though. The Bible answers all the questions that we really need to know in life. The Bible is sufficient for all that we need. And it is useful here, as Paul says, for teaching. We all need to be taught, including the teachers. The teachers need to be taught. We all need rebuke one time or another. And, of course, a good rebuke is never about crushing us. A good rebuke is always given in love. Hey, you're going wrong here. I I need to stop you because the cliff is coming. That's what a good rebuke is. The cliff is coming, and I'm... I'm here to do everything I can to stop you from driving off the cliff. We need correcting. Hey, you're not quite seeing this issue right. I don't, I, you think this is God. I don't, I don't think this is God. Let me help you here. Let me, we need training in righteousness. God has, this is amazing, folks. God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. You have been saved to be a blessing in the lives of other people. And in order to do those things, we need to be equipped. Here we have a model right here from the Bible of what the Bible is able to do for Christians. It's able to make us wise, first of all. It's able to save us. And then it's able to equip us in the ways that we need to be equipped so that we can be the men and women of God that God wants us to be to take his message to the ends of the earth. Let me give two points of application to close. Two points of application about the relevance and the power and the need that we have for God's word in our lives. First of all, a word about the diet industry, okay? Here's just a list I came up with in about two minutes of some diets that I can remember in my lifetime, okay? And I'm sure I'm going to forget some of these, so, uh, you know, talk to me after the service. But there's the South Beach diet. It's one of them that I remember. Uh, Weight Watchers, I guess, is not so much as a sort of a system that's been around a long time. There's the Atkins diet. There's the Paleo diet. There's the Whole30 diet. And another one called the Ketogenic diet. Um, I looked for the Oreo diet. Couldn't find it. That's the one that I would love to subscribe to. We, we have diets, right? There's always going to be a new diet. You get, give it six months, give it a year, there's going to be a new diet that says, you know, um, eat only bananas every day for the rest of your life or something. There, we're always looking for the panacea, the silver bullet on our health, aren't we? And, and that's not a bad thing that we live in a world where we're trying to be healthy. But this is, this is the truth about diets, and we all, we all know this. If you want to be a healthy person, if you want to lose weight, the formula really isn't that complex. Not to say it's not hard to follow through on it, but the formula itself is not really that complex. It's, it's eat a healthy amount of food, 
Eat healthy food, eat a healthy amount of food, and exercise. Diet and exercise is always the answer to being a healthy person. That never changes, and that's never going to change. And this is my point. Sometimes all of us, right, we all want a shortcut. We want, we want shortcuts in life, right? We wish that that electronic uh, belt thing that you buy on QVC could really give you a six-pack, right? Or, uh, or, or we wish that there was an easy solution to health. But the truth is that uh, while these diets, and it's certainly not my area of expertise, may be helpful to you, the truth is to be a healthy person, diet and exercise is always the answer. There's no shortcuts to being a healthy person. Church, there's no shortcuts to holiness. There's no shortcuts to knowing God more. We never get past this book. We never move on and, and to the point of the Christian life where we say, I don't need this book anymore. I found this new other great thing and that's what's going to make me more like Jesus. I don't really need this book anymore. There are no shortcuts to holiness. There are no shortcuts to knowing God better. And God says to us, I've given you my word. It's there for you. Open it up anytime you want and you'll know me better and you'll hear my voice and your life will be changed. That's what we need to remember. There are no shortcuts to holiness and growth in faith. It's always going to be the same answer. It's always going to be, get in the word. Pray to the Lord. Go to worship. No other Christians. Those things are never going to change, and it starts with God's word. Let me give one other, um, one other metaphor here to close us out. When I was in seminary, one of my professors who I, I love dearly, who had such a passion for God, he, he, he would say, look, guys, uh, you, you guys are going to go out there and you're going to be pastors and there are going to be times, especially early in your ministry, where you're going to feel like I am just so completely insufficient to do these things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be up here uh, as somebody who's proclaiming God, but look, you're a sinner like everybody else going to yell at your kids like everybody else. You're going to struggle uh, like everybody else. You're going to have your difficulties. And you're going to feel inadequate for the job of being a pastor. And you know what he said to us? He said, listen. He said, your job is to let the lion out of the cage. And he said, God's word is a lion. Let it out of the cage. And that was his way of saying, the power is in God. It's not in you. It's not in you to be so clever or, or smart or um, so wise. But it, rather, he was saying, look, guys, your job is simply to proclaim the word and let God do the work. He said, God's word is like a lion. And the only thing that you can do to stop that is to not proclaim it. He said, let that lion out of the cage and the lives of God's people. That's what they need. And so I'll say to all of you, let the lion out of the cage. Pick up this, this book. Let it change your life. Let it revolutionize your life. Get to know God better. Let the lion out of its cage. God will do amazing things in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through this book. I'll end with this. Tim Keller tweeted this on November 23rd, 2015. He tweeted this. 
If Jesus didn't think he could handle life without knowing the scriptures inside and out, what makes you think you can? Let's pray. Father, we need your word. We need it to change our lives. I pray, O oh God, that it would do so. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord God, help us to fill our lives with your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.